open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Psalms. Psalms 48. Last week we left off in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had come from King Artaxerxes' royal court. He had come on a mission back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. He's part of the third wave of returning exiles. If you remember, three waves of people were exiled from Judah, and three waves have returned. The first wave rebuilt the temple. The second wave, led by Ezra, they Ezra's job was to sanctify the remnant of the returning people. And this third wave, led by Nehemiah, has rebuilt the wall in 52 days. An amazing feat. What we're going to be looking at now is possibly the song that was sung while the people of Judah walked around the newly built wall in Jerusalem. It's a great song, especially when you consider all that is contained within it. The goodness of the Lord, their thankfulness toward him, and their preservation of uh, and the preservation of the people of God throughout all the multitudinous attacks by the peoples of the lands that are around Judah. We're in Psalm 48. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1, and I'll just read through the psalm. Verse 1. Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. They've come home. They've come home to enjoy Jerusalem, the city reserved at this time for his worship, the joy of the whole earth. They worship even though in the midst of extreme persecution and attacks, they have cause to worship and a hope. Ladies, Verse 4, for behold, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it. Then they were astonished. They were dismayed. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of Yahweh of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. They had been attacked. They had been discouraged. They had been enticed into idolatry. The Judeans, the Jews that have returned home, have sustained attack after attack after attack. And yet, the nations that are around are astonished. God has not only allowed Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the temple has been rebuilt. It had been burned down. It had been destroyed. And God had allowed it to be rebuilt. He had allowed the people to be sanctified. He had allowed the walls around Jerusalem 
to be rebuilt and her gates restored. And the nations are in a panic because this should not have happened. No other nation can do this. But they have the good God on their side. Verse 9. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple, as is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. And go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces, that you may recount it to the next generation. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us over death. This is quite possibly the song that the Jews sang as they walked around Jerusalem, rededicating the city toward holy worship. The title of today's message is Sanctified for Thankful Praise. The people of God have been reserved to continuously offer praise to the Lord. We're going to see this. It's demonstrated here in Psalms. We're going to see it in Nehemiah. And we're also going to see it in the future, in the eschaton, in in Revelation. Here's what's kind of brought this to the front of my mind. I was reading a quote by Thomas Watson. And don't be surprised if you don't know who Thomas Watson is. He lived in the 1600s. He was a Puritan preacher. He said something that struck me as incredibly profound. He said this, Praise and thanksgiving are the most excellent parts of God's worship. For these shall continue in the heavenly choir when all other parts of religion have ceased. That's what you're going to be doing a thousand years from now. You are going to be giving thanks. You are going to be offering praise to the Lord indefinitely, Christian. That is what you will be doing. When sacrifices have ceased, when gifts and offerings have faded away, when all those other little attributes have faded, you will still be giving thanks to God with grateful praise. He has reserved that for himself. So the title of today's message is Sanctified for Thankful Praise. We're going to see that. Uh, abundantly, I think, here. The main point that I want you to get from this message is that God has reserved for his people the eternal delight of thankful praise. God has reserved for his people, Christian, you are one of the people of God. God has reserved for his people the eternal delight of thankful praise. We're going to be talking about praise today. We're going to be talking about gladness. We're going to talk about being sanctified and set apart, reserved, preserved, kept by God, for God, for this thing that he delights in and that we will share delight in, the offering of thankful praise. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, thank you for showing us 
not only what you delight in, but also what the people of God delight in. Giving thanks to you, as is your name, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Lord, all of creation waits expectantly for the revealing of the Christ where we can break forth in joyful shouts of praise. Thank you, Lord, for this time on the earth when we can be distinguished by our joy, by our gladness, by our hope. And Lord, I pray that today we would be equipped to better offer thankful praise. May we improve in our praise of you and our gratitude. May we increase in it and may you be glorified. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. As I mentioned, we're gonna be in Nehemiah, so go ahead and turn over to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, we're gonna jump right into the middle of the chapter. We're not gonna read through the censuses at the beginning of the chapter. Um, Those are inspired, and so they are worth reading, but we're not going to cover that today in the interest of time. We're going to be focusing on the dedication of the gates, the people, and the wall around Jerusalem. The first point in our text starts in verse 27. It goes to verse 30 of Nehemiah 12. And I've titled it, Sanctification with Songs of Thanks. We're going to see the people of God returning to be reserved, set apart, sanctified, so that they can offer songs of thanks. Verse 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they, the people, the remnant, sought out the Levites from all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers, these are Levites, were gathered from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphathites, from Beth Gilgal, and that's in the east from Jerusalem, So if you can imagine on your map, you have the Mediterranean Sea. You have the Dead Sea right here in Jerusalem is in between at the north end of the Dead Sea. So Beth Gilgal is to the east of Jerusalem. This is where some of the singers have been living. They've been gathered from Beth Gilgal and from their fields in Geba, that's to the north, and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites cleansed themselves. They also cleansed the people, the gates and the wall. Before being dedicated to the Lord, they purify themselves. It is interesting to know some of the the context of what is still, you can still see it in Jerusalem around the temple. There are these things called mikvahs. 
their ceremonial baths where people, worshipers, would come and they would become cleansed before they would come to worship. Christian, it is a good idea to begin laying the groundwork. You worship day and night anyway with your life, but especially in preparation before you come to worship on Sunday morning, be thinking in advance of preparing your heart, purifying it. And I... To that end, I've got a principle here. Praise from a pure heart is pleasing to God. As we come into corporate worship together, we need to be laying the groundwork so that as we come through these doors, as we're prepared to worship, we're ready. This isn't a punch-the-clock thing. We're not doing a ceremony that has no meaning. We are in the presence now, here, of the living God. Should we not? put some thought into preparing ourselves to dedicating ourselves to praying and praising well. I think so. I would just encourage you, even the night before, start setting your mind toward what is to come and reorienting yourself, focusing yourself on what you're about to take part in. Because God takes the worship of himself incredibly serious. I would referred to Nadab and Abihu, Uzzah, uh, those guys could really give us some insight into how seriously God takes his worship. Come ready to worship from a pure heart. That's what pleases God. Okay, in verses 31 through 43, we have our second point. And again, context. Uh, so Jerusalem, if you can imagine the shape of it, it's kind of like an ice cream cone. You have the sharp, pointy end of the cone, and then you have the prototypical giant ball of ice cream on top. That's where the temple is. So this is the city of David, and then the temple is up top of Jerusalem. What Nehemiah and the people are going to do is they are going to come from the west. And apologies, I'm doing this backwards, right? So <laughs> they're coming from the west, and the first group is going to drop down to the bottom of the, the tip of the ice cream cone and then circle around back to the top of the ice cream ball, and they're going to be singing this whole time, while the second group is going to go over the top of the ice cream and come in back through the east of the cone, to worship the Lord. The whole time, they're going to be singing. They've gathered the singers, the Levites. They've dedicated themselves. They've purified themselves. They're ready to dedicate something that should not exist. This destroyed city had been scrapped off the map. It should not be there. And yet God has, because of his good promises, allowed Jerusalem to be rebuilt. These people are glad. They know God keeps his promises. They're joyful. They're thankful. They've been set apart, sanctified for thankful praise. And so you can imagine how loud it is. These walls are thick, but they're not super thick. They're eight feet wide in some places. And so you have four or five, six people walking abreast as they're making this trek around Jerusalem, singing, and how the city would be echoing and resounding. Uh, we're going to be looking at that. So this next section, verses 31 through 43, is titled, Gladness Overflowing in God's Holy City. Verse 31. Then I had the leaders, this is Nehemiah speaking in the first person, 
Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I had two great choirs of thanksgiving stand. The first proceeded to the right on top of the wall toward the dung gate. So it's going down south toward the bottom end of the ice cream cone. And here are the leaders in verse 32. Hoshaiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the sons of the priests with trumpets. And Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his relatives. Shemaiah, Azarel, Malali, Gilali, Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. So Ezra is not dead. He's still kicking around. At the spring gate, they went up directly up the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall of the house of David to the water gate on the east. So this is the route of the first group. They come in, they go south, they go down to the bottom of the cone, and then they wrap back up to where the temple is. And then the second group is described in verse 38. The second choir proceeded to the left, around the top of the cone, around the top of the ice cream. While I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of furnaces to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, by the old gate, by the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And they stood at the gate of the guard. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God, so did I, and half the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Minamin, Micaiah, Eliani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with the trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Johanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers made their voices heard with Jezrehiah, their overseer. This is in a chaotic blasting of sound, everybody doing their own thing. No, this is an organized, very exuberant exclamation of the praise of the Lord. And on that day, verse 43, on that day they offered great sacrifices and were glad because God had given them great gladness. Even the women and children were glad. So the gladness of Jerusalem was heard from afar. It's a megaphone exclaiming the goodness and grace of the Lord. And Jerusalem is resounding like a tuning fork with loud praises. As I was reading this, I was considering the difference between what happens here and what happened in Jericho. Can, can you do a contrast in your mind quickly of the differences between Jericho and Jerusalem? Jericho, which was the first city conquered in the promised land, as the people came across the Jordan, they marched around Jericho. No singing. Trumpet blasts over and over. Doom, 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 doom. And all of a sudden, the people shouted. The walls fell down flat. That's not what's happening here. The contrast couldn't be greater. The people are walking around the city, and they are praising the Lord loudly. And the city doesn't collapse. It doesn't fall apart. No. God has reserved them, preserved them, kept them for himself, for thankful praise. He desires it from his people. 
And he allows them to take part. Christian, you are part of the people of God. You're not replacing the Jews, but you're part of the covenant-keeping people of God. And you get a part in this. Think of your eschatology. Think of your last days and times. What's going to happen? There's going to be loud trumpets right before the judgment. And in the last days, who's in heaven singing the praises of the Lord? It's the saints. And it's loud praise. Their voices are like many waters, loud. This is a reverberation of themes that are seen throughout Scripture. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But... Before we do, I'm going to close out our passage here. Verses 44 through 47, sustained songs of praise. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah was glad over the priests and Levites who stood to minister. And they kept their responsibility given by their God and the responsibility of cleansing, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the commandment of David and his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were chiefs of the singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel. And Nehemiah were giving the portions due to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the holy portion for the Levites and the Levites set apart the holy portion for the sons of Aaron. In verse 46, it says, in ancient times we were doing this. Now we're doing it again. We're going to be doing it in the future. We're going to see that in a few moments. Praise and thanksgiving are permanent. They are established They're not temporary. Christian, thankfulness, thankful praise, it was in our call to worship. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Every attribute, every aspect of our life is to have gratitude expressed to the Lord through Christ. That's, That's not a new theme. That's a recurring theme. If you have a Bible application on your phone, you should query thankfulness and thanksgiving and see how often it is paired with absolute time frames. Always, always. You will see that hitting over and over and over again. Thankfulness is something that is to continue. Now, if it's supposed to continue, that's something that we presumably should be wanting to develop in our own life. I've got five different ways that you can develop thankfulness in your life. The first, and this is an acrostic. I don't know if these are helpful to you, but they're helpful to me to suss out ideas. And so I hope this is helpful to you. The acrostic is heart, because it's all about your heart and the orientation of your heart. It's hard to be thankful if your heart is out of whack. This is how you increase thankfulness, and it's about your heart. First, the H in heart. Honor the Lord with your best. That brings about gladness. This is what the the priests and Levites did in verse 46, right? They gathered the first fruits into the city. 
so that it would sustain the praise. It would promote it. It would pay for what the work was that was going to be done. Honor the Lord with your best. That brings about gladness in your own life. When you give the Lord the very best, that you're focusing on the right priorities. And that will increase thankfulness because you have your priorities refocused on the Lord. The E, the E in heart. Extol his salvation. Extol means to speak out loud to others, praising it. Extol his salvation. That's what the people did. They had been saved. They had been brought out of exile. They were glad. They were appreciative. They had gratitude. If you want to increase your gratitude, talk with others of how you have been saved. Don't hide that under a bushel. No, share it, right? That's the E. A, the A in heart. Admire God's character. When you sit down in front of your Bible and you see the character of God displayed and you see the justice that is poured out on sin and the mercy that has been saved for you, admire that God is still just and still loving at the same time. These dual attributes of the same character as holy character are worth admiring. They're worth emulating to the degree we can, loving justice and doing what is good. Admire his character. It encourages us to be like Christ. It gets our mind focused where it's supposed to be, off the horizontal and back on the vertical. Admire his characteristics, and it'll make you thankful for who he is and what you've been saved from. The R, the R in heart. Remember his great forgiveness. That'll lead to relief for his mercy that he has shown to us. Remember his great forgiveness. That'll make you thankful. When you think of the hell that is waiting for those that reject the Lord and you remember that all of your sins have been washed away, I'd, I would be surprised if you cannot express gratitude to the Lord after that. That will increase your thankfulness. Lastly, and this is, this is just a, a, another good tip. Treat every day as a gift. You have today. You have today to serve your king. Today is a good day. You have much to be grateful for. Your worst problems are over, Christian. You have a reason to be glad. You have been saved. It's a gift. Use it well. That understanding of each day as a gift gives us an eternal perspective. And I got one more eternal perspective for you. Turn to Revelation 7 as we close out the text. Revelation 7. I had said earlier that quote from Thomas Watson about what will remain. What will remain when everything else has faded? This is what we'll be doing 200 years from now. In Revelation 7, verse 9, I see this extremely joyous, happy scene of grateful thanks and praise. Verse 9, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude 
which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. A hundred years from now, this is, this is what we're going to get to do. We are going to be able to praise the Lord and give him all the honor, all the glory. It's all about him. It's not about us, but we get a part in it. Today's message was sanctified for thankful praise. You can see the theme of praise reserved by God for God throughout revealed uh, history in the Bible and also in the future. We've learned that God has reserved for his people the eternal delight of thankful praise. I hope and I pray that thankfulness marks your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we of all people have so much to be grateful for. We thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the shed blood of Christ that washed us clean, that made us whole. Thank you for accepting the perfect sacrifice of your son and seeing us in him. Lord, thank you for our new identity, our adoption. Thank you that you do not ever forget your promises or your covenants. You keep them. We look forward to testifying with the millions others of your goodness and your grace throughout eternity. Thank you for saving us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.